Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We're beginning a brand new series, and one of our traditions around here recently is that we like to have a memory verse with every series, so we have a brand new memory verse. I'm going to say it, introduce it, and then I'm going to ask all of you to stand and say it out loud with me. It's Acts 15, 19, and it says, It is my judgment, therefore, that you, that we would not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God, Acts 15, 19. 19. This is such a powerful verse we're going to look at in a few weeks. Would you all stand and just say it out loud? You get to completely read it off of the screen. And in a few weeks, we, of course, will take it away and we'll ask you to have it memorized. All right. So you just come every week. It'll happen naturally. Piece of cake. Read it with me out loud if you would. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God Acts 15, 19. Thank you. Be seated if you would. That's our verse. Now, when I was in about uh, four years old, five years old, I was walking with my mom and we were walking around a pool. And when we were walking around the pool, it was winter. I had a big coat on. I remember it was a big red heavy coat. And my mom had one main focus. My mom, who's watching right now back in San Angelo, hello, mom. She'll remember this story, and if I don't get it right, she'll tell me, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to remember it right. I was walking around the pool, and my mom had one main focus, and that was, Mark, don't run around the pool. Bad things will happen if you violate that rule. That was her main focus. Well, at some point, I, of course, violated that rule, and I began to run around the pool, and guess what happened? I fell in the pool. I couldn't swim, and all of a sudden, I'm face down in this pool with my heavy red jacket. And I'm floating face down, and I remember my ears were below the water level, and everything went quiet, you know, when you go under the water. And I'm just sitting there kind of half paralyzed, but I'm floating, and I never panicked because of these two reasons. Number one, I knew that my mom saw me fall into the pool, and I was convinced that she had a new priority. Instead of focused on her rule, she was going to focus on my rescue. I hoped, right? And it was just a matter of seconds before, sure enough, my mom completely inconvenienced herself, fully clothed, and she put her paw in that pool, and she pulled me out and rescued me. My mom could have, in that moment, instead, leaned over the pool and said, Mark, I told you. Told you not to run around the pool, and here you went and did it. Way to go. Could have walked back into the house and said, yep, Mark violated the one rule I had. He's down. He's floating in the pool right now. No, she focused, and she changed her focus from her rule to rescuing me, and I am very grateful that she did. You ever had one of those moments in your life where you had a priority, and then something happens that causes you to change your priority? It may have been a good priority until this life change happened. Some of us, this happened when we had good friendships, and all of a sudden we have a child, and now our priority changed from these friendships to this child God has given us. Some of us, this has happened when we had a career, and we were trying to make money, we were trying to make a living, and all of a sudden somebody that we loved had an illness, and suddenly our priority changed, and now we have a new priority, really spending time with someone that we love. 
This happens all throughout life with all different kinds of circumstances where our priority just kind of changed. It wasn't that we had a bad priority, we just have a new priority. And that previous priority lessens in its importance. We're going to look at a story today where a man has a crazy, he's on a trip, and he has an encounter that causes his life to turn upside down and his priority completely changes. What's fascinating about this story is it directly impacts you and me 2,000 years later. I want you to see this story because this story, historically in the church, was the game changer. I can't overemphasize the importance of this story today. I hope you've got your Bibles and you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 9 as we dive back into the book of Acts. If you missed the beginning of this series that we started late in the spring, the first eight chapters, it's totally okay. You can go back and listen to it or you can just know the bottom line was God said go make disciples. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he did. People by the thousands began to follow Jesus and all of a sudden persecution went crazy and that's where we pick it up today. In Acts chapter 9. Now to give you context for what we're about to read in this powerful story, I want you to see the character who's summarized in the previous chapter, Acts 8.3. It'll come on the screen. This is Saul and this is what he was doing. In Acts chapter 8 verse 3, look at this verse which summarizes and gives us context for what we're about to read. Let's see here real quick. Acts chapter 8 verse 3, it says... Then Saul began to destroy the church. He began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Who does that? Can you imagine people who were Christians back in the first century after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's ascended into heaven and these people are excited and they're coming to Christ by the thousands And then there's this man named Saul who's dragging people from house to house and putting them in prison. And later we will find out many of them are dying. And if we're gathered here today in Plano, Texas, and all of a sudden we hear Saul's out in the parking lot, it would be like a wave of fear would come across this entire auditorium as we hear about this man who's dragging people into prison, many who will die. Well, with that context, we pick up Acts chapter 9 today. This man named Saul, whose story directly impacts you, you'll see in a minute, he's going on a trip. This is an important detail. He's going on a trip from Jerusalem all the way up to Damascus. In fact, check out this map. If you're into maps like I am, you'll see the distance. It's about 140 miles. Damascus, which is modern-day Syria. Saul is going on this trip about 140 miles. It'd be like us going up to Wichita Falls or us going out to Longview. It's a pretty good trip when you're going by foot. And this is the trip Saul is now about to take. With that as the background, engage in this story in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Watch how it kicks off. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. He's literally threatening, threatening to kill people. Imagine. He's threatening to kill people. Against the Lord's disciples, not just any people, but people who follow Jesus. Many of us in this room would have been his target audience. You don't want to be Saul's target audience. And Saul went to the high priest, the most religious man. 
And he asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that he found that if he found any of these who belonged to the way, those are Christians, they weren't called Christians yet, they were just called people of the way, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So now they're called the way, and Saul's after those people, willing to go to the synagogues. And if he finds any of the way, whether men or women, he might take them to prison in Jerusalem. In other words, he's expanding his territory. Originally, he was just in Jerusalem persecuting Christians, but Christians started to scatter. So now he's willing to go all the way to Damascus, imprison them, and drag them back to Jerusalem so that they could go to prison. Why is this man so passionate? Because he is very religious, and Saul is passionate to serve God. Now here's what's fascinating. He's heard about these Christians who believe in this rabbi who supposedly healed people and performed these miracles, although Saul is very skeptical that that actually ever happened. And then these same Christians claim that the Jesus who was crucified on the cross, they claim that he actually rose from the dead. Saul's a bright, rational man. He knows better. There's no way that happened. I've never seen that happen. You've never seen that happen. Saul had never seen that happen. So he knew it didn't happen. But he's so passionate about his faith and his religion that at first he thinks it's comical and eventually he must be irritated by it. Eventually he gets angry by it and he creates this little box of rules. And these people are violating his rules. And so eventually he becomes a radicalized against these people of the way to the point that he's going to imprison them. Who is this guy named Saul? Well, first of all, we need to know this guy named Saul. He's highly intelligent and very educated. He would have fit in just fine here in Plano. Very intelligent, very educated man. He's also someone who knew his Bible like the back of his hand. He knew all 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Very familiar with them. He's a man who deeply loved God. He wanted to be used by God. And then he was someone who was very passionate in his service, and he was very committed as a religious leader in his faith community. He's just now going to the extreme to defend it, and if it means he goes against people to imprison them. And now we pick up his journey all the way to Damascus, and on his way, he's almost there to Damascus, and watch what happens to Saul. This is our story. Look at verse 3, it says, And as he neared Damascus, On his journey, suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. Now Saul, because he knows the Old Testament really, really well, we don't know exactly what happened. Was it lightning? Was it something more than that? We don't know, but what we know is Saul knows the Old Testament really well, and he knows that God often uses light to get people's attention. He's read the story of Moses, God speaking to him through the burning bush. He reads the story of the children of Israel being led by the pillar of fire. He knows about the fire coming down on Mount Sinai. He knows that God often uses light to get people's attention. And so immediately he's thinking, this is divine. This is the God I serve speaking to me. And watch how powerful it was. Look at verse four. As he's on this journey, look at the verse that says, Paul or Saul fell to the ground And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, this is a powerful and personal God. 
Why do you persecute me? And Saul responds by saying, who are you, Lord? This isn't necessarily a term of divine reverence as much as it is a term of power reverence. Who are you, sir? He's speaking to, he believes the divine. Now, the Bible doesn't record it, but I believe this is Saul's first reaction when he simply said this, and you'll see it on the slide. Saul simply responded with, well, probably a couple of curse words. And he's knocked to the ground, right? And as he's knocked to the ground, he's thinking, what in the world is this, sir? Who is this? What is this that you want with me? And then, and here's the moment of truth, the next three words cause Saul's world to turn upside down as everything he believes he's about to discover is a lie. Look at the next three words. This voice says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, Jesus replied. Now, we don't see it here, but in verse 17 and verse 27, what we're going to see is that not only was he hearing from Jesus, he was seeing Jesus. He was in Jesus' physical presence and he's interacting with the person he's convinced is dead and all of a sudden he sees oh these disciples are right he really did rise from the dead and I'm just here to tell you when you see a dead man walking you believe and in this moment he stares at Jesus face to face he hears the very voice of Jesus the Messiah and everything he had believed up until that point it flips on its head and now his head is spinning because see, up until now, Saul had a box. And he believed, these are the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and I'm going to put everybody in that box, and I oppose anyone who doesn't believe what I believe. This was his box. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and everything changes. He would have been able to say, I've just seen Jesus, and I will never be the same again. Now watch what Jesus now tells him to do in the rest of that verse. In the rest of that verse, Jesus goes on to tell Saul, now get up, sorry I knocked you down there, Jesus says, go ahead and get up and go into the city. You're on your way to Damascus, go on the rest of the way and you will be told what you must do. Just take my word, go on the rest of the way. And then I love this detail of the story. He happened to have an entourage with him. They were all headed to Damascus. Remember, Saul's a very powerful, intellectual man. He has, a, he has kind of a posse with him. And watch this in the next verse. The men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. Well, I guess so. They have no idea the supernatural moment that they've just witnessed, how to make sense of it. And it says, they heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul saw Jesus. They didn't see Jesus. They just heard the sound. And being dumbfounded, but knowing that Saul has just had a supernatural experience, they go into help mode. So watch Saul. All of a sudden it says, he got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Saul now is blind. Watch this. So they led him, he's suddenly helpless, and they're leading him, still unsure of exactly what's just happened. They lead him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink 
anything. I don't know about you, but my guess is Saul is in shock. He has no idea what just happened. Now, you got to be thinking, Mark, I thought you said this has something to do with my story. Well, we're going to get there. This has everything to do with your story. But now we're going to get introduced to a new character whose name is Ananias. He is a Jewish man who is a Christian. And watch God show up and talk to him now and let him know that Saul's story has something to do with him. Look at the next verse. In verse 10 it says, And in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him Ananias. Now remember, he's a Christian. He's like, yeah, what's going on, God? How can I help you? I follow you. I give everything to you. Totally submissive to what God wants. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord said to him, now here's where it gets tricky for Ananias. Remember, everyone is scared to death of this man named Saul. And the Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Now remember, they're in Damascus. By the way, modern day Damascus, still the main street is called Straight Street. And here, Ananias is told, go to Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus, which was Saul's hometown, named Saul, for he is praying. (laughs) And Ananias is thinking, he's praying? That's not what I heard about him. Yeah, in a vision, Saul has seen a man named Ananias. And God goes, guess what? That's you. He said, I've seen... A vision with a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restored his sight. Now, if you're Ananias in that moment, you know what you're thinking? God, you better not be telling me what I think you're hinting at. There's no way I'm going to that man and doing what you're talking about. He's seeing in a vision. God, please tell me, yeah, he's seeing in a vision, but he's crazy. And so my sane God is going to fix him, right? Watch what God goes on to say to Ananias, who is having his head spin right now. Look at the next verse. Ananias goes, "Uh, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man. God, I don't know if you've heard, but I've heard. Maybe you missed out on what's been happening here recently, but he's imprisoning people like me. He's killing people like me. He's hurting people like me. God, do you know who you're talking about? It can't be me to him. He's making it very clear in case God doesn't know. Don't you pray that way sometimes? Like, God, what are you up to? Why would you allow this? This doesn't make any sense. Ananias wrestling with God here. I love the humanity of that. He says he's doing so much harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here to Damascus. And he's come with authority from the high priest, he's saying, to arrest all of us who call on your name. God, I am faithful to you. Don't make me fulfill his vision. God, love me enough to not make me go there, right? And now watch what God says to Ananias. He says, But the Lord said to Ananias, say that next word with me, go. Oh, don't you hate that? Don't you, and Ananias said, I hope you said no. Because if you said go, my life is in danger. God, could you say that one more time? Because I think I may have just misunderstood you. I thought you just said go to a terrorist and pray over him. Like you didn't just say that, right? Go. Look at the rest of that verse. Jesus, God speaking to Ananias, he says, go. This man is a terrorist. Now, that's what Ananias was saying. 
God says something different. You see what God said? God said, this man is my chosen instrument. He's my vessel now. What? And, and I can't help but Ananias is going, God, I heard about this guy. He's your chosen instrument. How is he your chosen instrument? Now watch what he says. He says, he is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. Ananias says, proclaim your name. I'm proclaiming your name. He's persecuting people who are proclaiming your name. And then watch what God says. Proclaim my name to the, say that next word with me, Gentiles. Now, you know Gentiles are basically non-Jews. Jews back then had two boxes. You're either with us or you're against us. You're either Jew or you're Gentile. You're Jew and there's other. There's everybody else. And so when Ananias hears that, first of all, he's thinking, there's no way Saul is like with us. Your instrument, like that just doesn't make sense. Oh, he's going to go to those people. Okay, I don't really think it makes sense, but that feels a little better. That's what Saul's thinking. And then God says, not only is he going to go to the Gentiles, He's going to go to the Gentiles and to their kings. So God raises the bar a little bit. And Saul's thinking, wait a minute. He's going to go to those people and to their royalty? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't really have a category about that. I don't know what you're up to, God. And then God raises and twists this a little bit tighter. And he goes, he's going to go to the Gentiles. Yes, he's my chosen instrument. He's going to go to the kings. Yes, he's my chosen instrument. And he's going to go to the people of Israel. He's going to be my instrument to you and your people. Saul's gonna, or Ananias is just hearing the story of Saul and he's thinking, there is no way. God, there's no way that you could cause this kind of change. And then God sort of lets up a little bit of the tension in the next verse and he says, okay, but just know this. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias goes, well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad he's not getting off scot-free, at least. Now, I don't know about you, but this is nothing like Ananias thought with the way the world would turn out. He knows that Saul is a bad guy who hurts good people. Therefore, he's in a box of justice. And all of a sudden, God comes to him and turns the world upside down and says, you're going to forgive him. You're actually going to be part of blessing him. And he's going to become my instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to the kings, and to the people of Israel. And Ananias thinks, what in the world? I don't know about you, but some of you, I think, are that way right now. You're in this place, and you're thinking, this is the way I thought life would turn out. I, I thought I had everything figured out. I had all the boxes in place. I knew where everybody stood. And all of a sudden, life's turning out a little bit differently than I thought. And maybe it's been the pandemic for you over the last couple of years. Maybe it's been a divorce that you've experienced. Maybe for you, it's a loss of a friendship. Maybe it's some broken dreams, loss of a loved one. And all of a sudden, you find yourself asking what Ananias, like, Lord, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. And when you're in that moment, you have a decision to make like I have a decision to make, and that is, do I trust God here? I had enough for what yesterday held. I had enough trust for what last year held. But now I'm in a new place with a new set of circumstances. Do I trust him here? And Ananias had that wrestling and I want you to see the next three words. With all that he feared about the future and all that was unknown, it says, Then Ananias went. He just trusted God that if he's telling me to do this, if he's allowing these circumstances, and if he's promised to be with me, then I am going to trust him for the unknown future. And Ananias went. 
Now listen, we stand as Christians both on truth and on love. I am just suggesting that over and over in this passage, what we see is that God says, but lead with love, right? In other words, while Christians may be criticized for what we believe, we should be famous for building bridges. And Ananias, he didn't let loose of what he believed, but he found someone others found unlovable. And he obeyed God all the way into the space of this unlovable person. And I want you to watch what he did when he got to his house. Look at it. It says, he went to the house and he entered in and he placed his hands on Saul. Can you imagine that? Saul, you may be about to end my life, but I'm trusting the one who's ultimately in control. And then he said, brother Saul, you're not only an acquaintance, you're now part of the family. And maybe you're here and church isn't even your thing and you feel like Saul, that maybe you've got a reputation, you haven't earned your right to be in God's grace. Just know, none of us have. We want to be the people who come around you and put our hands on you and say, brother and sister, welcome to the family. We are all beggars pointing other beggars to the food. None of us are entitled to this goodness of God. And in this moment, he calls him brother Saul. And watch what he goes on to do and pray. Jesus, who appeared to you, he told me he appeared to you, by the way. You don't have to tell me the story. I've already heard it from Jesus himself. He appeared to you on the road as you were coming here to Damascus. And this same God has sent me so that you may see again. I know you're blind. It's not permanent. I'm here to help. And that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which remember Acts 1-8 was all about becoming witnesses when we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And now here he is to pass on that power to Saul. And watch what happens as a result of this prayer. In verse 18 it says, And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see once again. And then he got up and he was baptized and taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, he was baptized. I love that. I love that Saul recognized, I have had a private experience with just me and a group, a group of people, and now I'm here, and God wants me to go and tell others about him, but first, I must go public with my faith. Imagine what he was trying to do, overcome his reputation. And his next step was to be baptized. This is where we follow the commandment of Jesus, where he said one of our first steps of obedience after declaring our faith in Jesus is to go public and declare our faith through baptism. Now let me just say, some of you have given your life to Jesus, you've made that prayer, you've made that commitment, but you've never taken this step. And maybe it's your next step in your spiritual journey. It is a significant step. And I just want to invite you to take that step. We're going to have a baptism four weeks today on September the 12th. And if you would like more information, you can just go to that QR code. For everything today, just go to the QR code. There's right there in the seat in front of you. You'll see that code. You just pull out your camera app, click it, just like you do a menu at the restaurant, and go to the Connect With Us, and you'll see options there today. Let us know you want more information. We would love to get you that information so that you can take that next step in your life. Now, if you see nothing else, I want you to see this next one verse. Verse 20. Because it is powerful. This is the man who, remember, is going around killing Christians. Watch what verse 20 says. 
And at once, this is Saul, at once he began to preach in the synagogue. Now let's stop and think about that for a minute. Did you know back then there were all kinds of controversies that divided people of faith? People were divided over all kinds of political things, all kinds of rules-based things, all kinds of preference. The culture was just divided. I'm glad 2,000 years ago, later we don't struggle with that at all, right? Everything was divided, and when Saul walked in, culture back then would have been wrestling over issues of, do we get circumcised, do we not get circumcised? Do we eat these foods, or do we eat those foods? What about Gentiles? What about the Jews? What about those who are from the nation of Israel? What about the political clout of the Roman Empire, who we believe is in the wrong to begin with? The government can't be trusted. With all the things everybody is arguing over in the lobby, when they walk into the synagogue, this man saw who everyone is afraid of. He walks in knowing that everybody's battling those arguments. And he's been focused on these 613 commandments of the Old Testament. And guess what he chose to talk about that day? The rest of that verse reveals the new priority of his life. He had priorities, and because of the road to Damascus experience when he intersected with God himself, look how his priorities forever change. It says, at once he began to preach in the synagogue that, and would you say the rest of that verse with me? Jesus is the Son of God. Saul stood there in front of everybody, and he said, look, I know I've been persecuting people who follow Jesus. Today I'm going to preach about Jesus because I saw him. I heard from him. He talked to me. And he came to me and he forgave me and he accepted me knowing who I am. This God sent his son Jesus on the cross. And even though I questioned whether or not he rose from the dead, in fact, I knew he didn't. I've seen him with my own eyes. This Jesus is walking with me and talking with me. And Saul in that moment said, I don't know why you're arguing out in the lobby about all that stuff. You need to get this one thing right. Here is the main thing. And it's the new priority of my life that Jesus is the son of God. And he would spin, and here's why this is your story. Because he would spend the rest of his life declaring that as the main thing. That Jesus is, the, I know you're divided over circumcision. You're divided over what food to eat. Whether or not it go, should go to the Gentiles. Whether or not the Roman Empire is evil. I know you're fighting over all those things. And I get it. Those are important things. But don't lose sight of the main thing. I just saw Jesus. And he will rescue us for all of eternity. And what Saul realized was, it's one thing to have a list of rules, but it's another thing to see somebody drowning in the pool. And he goes, I will never focus on rules as long as there are people drowning in the pool. I want you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And here's what I believe. Eventually, God, knowing that he wanted the gospel to go from Judea, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and yet it was not happening. So he goes and gets Paul, who Saul, who eventually becomes Paul, we'll see in a couple of chapters. He goes and gets this man, and he has an encounter with this man, and he says, I want you to make this the main thing. And you know what he did? He goes, I'm going to the Gentiles. I know the rest of you aren't going, but I'm going. 
And he goes to the Gentiles and he takes the gospel beyond the Jewish people. He takes it from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And eventually we're going to see in the chapters ahead, he is going to take it to the ends of the earth. And it's because of this man that the gospel leaves where it was and goes eventually to the rest of the empire and eventually comes to people like you and I in the West. It is because of this man that the church went from Jerusalem to Plano. It is because of this man it went from them to us. It went from Saul to you. It is this moment where he discovers he has a new priority, and that is Jesus is the Son of God. And here's what I believe. If Saul were standing here, because generation after generation, they have new lesser things that they make the main thing. And I think if Saul were to walk through this door right now, he would look at us and see all of our division. You know what he would say? He would say, believe it or not, believe it or not, vaccinated and unvaccinated people need Jesus. He would say people who are pro-mask and anti-mask need Jesus. He would say people who are Democrats, who are Republicans, who are independents, they need Jesus. And then he would say whatever you do at the end of the day, realize that when we scream our opinion on lesser things, we lower our voice about the main thing, and that is the hope of this world, is Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? You see... Sharing Jesus is not icing on the cake. It is the cake. And Saul realized, I am done with those 613 commandments. I see people drowning and they need Jesus. And his life was never the same. And I am so grateful that's the case. Because you and I know Jesus because he was bold enough to build a bridge and to tear down boxes and go to places people weren't willing to go before him. But watch how people respond to him. In that moment, in that synagogue, look at verse 21. It says, And all those who heard Saul were astonished and asked, Wait a minute, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on the name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Isn't he just scheming to arrest us? And then skip down to verse 23. It says, After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill Saul. This guy's never going to catch a break for the rest of his life. He's earned some of that, but he's committed no matter what. So you know what he decides? He goes, okay, I'm not safe here in Damascus. I'll go back to Jerusalem. I understand the disciples and the apostles are back there. I bet I'll find a good ear with them. So he goes all the way back. He makes a trek from Damascus all the way back down to Jerusalem. And look at verse 26, how they respond, the disciples, when Saul shows up. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. I don't know. Is he one of us or is this just a big scheme to arrest us? I mean, you can't blame him for being afraid, right? And then watch these next two words, but Barnabas. There's a man who decides instead of building boxes, he's going to build a bridge and he's going to believe in this man. He's going to vouch for Saul it says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly, Saul, in the name of Jesus. I love that. So because of Barnabas being willing to vouch for him, Saul prayed with them. He stayed with them and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and he debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but then they tried to kill him. 
This guy's never going to catch a break. It's fascinating. In the end of chapter 9, he is now doing the very thing he stoned Stephen or had Stephen stoned for doing in chapter 8, the first Christian martyr. And now they are trying to kill Saul. You know why? Because they've got boxes. Everybody's with it. No, you're not like, you're not, we thought we'd behave this way. This way we need everybody to behave and you're different. So we can't build a bridge. Well, then look at the verse, verse 30, it says. And when the believers learned of this, they took care of him and they sent him down to Caesarea and they sent him off back to his hometown back in Tarsus. Now we're going to pick up with Saul in a couple of weeks, but just know he spends years there preparing for what God has sent him to do, but he will never, ever in the rest of his life demote the main thing, that Jesus is the Son of God. And I've seen him with my own eyes. And he makes all the difference. He's the only hope and he's telling everybody and it will change everything. You say, well, whatever happened to the church? Well, look at the last verse, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea and Samaria, Galilee and Samaria, it enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. Some people don't like talking about numbers, and I totally get that. The Bible seems to have no fear talking about numbers because the Bible knows that behind every number there is a soul. And the church continued to grow by leaps and bounds from there forward. There were people like Saul who said, no matter what, I will declare that Jesus is our hope. And I will never let a lesser thing become the main thing. I will make sure that if I lead with anything, I lead with love. I will stand on truth, but I will lead with love. And this was Saul going forward. Now, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. Some of you are here, you're visiting, or maybe you've been here a while, and you would say, you know what, that encounter that Saul had, I've never had an encounter like that. I've never had a personal encounter with the creator of this universe. I've never been in a place where I felt like I could hear from him and he could speak to me and I could speak to him. It's never felt personal to me. It has always felt like it was some ethereal relationship. And maybe you're here and you have been putting God in a box. Maybe you're here and without even realizing it, you've been hesitant to respond to God because you're afraid that he's gonna suck all the joy out of your life. You're afraid you're gonna to have to be accountable to something you don't wanna be accountable to. Or maybe you would even say, you know what? I'm not good enough. I'm like Saul, I have a reputation. I know me and I am not good enough. Can I tell you some truth? You're not good enough and you never will be just like me. I love this quote by Timothy Keller where he says, you are more sinful than you would ever dare imagine, but you are more loved, accepted, and forgiven than you could ever dare hope. Oh, listen, if you don't think you're good enough, just know this. The same God who knew Saul's reputation and chased him down on the way to Damascus, introduced himself and then drew him in to the family of God. He is here today and he knows your past and yet he is pursuing you today because just like he relentlessly loved Saul, he relentlessly loves you. So I wanna do something a little bit different as we wrap up here today. I wanna to ask everybody here if you would just close your eyes, if you would lower your head and let me just talk to some people in the room who've not yet had a personal encounter with God. So in the privacy of this moment, if that's you and you feel in your heart something's beating, something's stirring, I believe that is God inviting you 
right here, right now. I want to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical in my words, but I want to invite you to make an internal decision to respond to this love from the creator of this universe who's drawing you in right now. Would you pray this prayer after me? Dear God, I know that I haven't been perfect, that there's a lot that's broken, there's a lot that I've done that's wrong, and God, you call that sin. I know that I'm a sinner. God, I, I believe you sent your son Jesus for people like me. God, I believe he rose from the dead. And I don't understand it all, but I want to give my life to you and receive your free gift of salvation today. Oh God, help me from this day forward to make you my Savior and my Lord. And help me to live for you for the rest of my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you, if you would all keep your eyes closed for just a moment. I just want to invite you, if that's you and you made that decision today, there's a QR code in the pew in front of you. It's on the screen. I would just invite you to pull your phone out, click on that, and then just let us know you made that decision. Here's why, because I want to pray for you and I want to celebrate with you the most important decision you could ever make in your life. Would you just go ahead and do that right now? You can go to our website and you can click on the connect with us, go to the bulletin, connect with us, and you'll see the opportunity for that same interaction to just let us know. We want to celebrate with you. If you're online, let us know. Now, for the rest of you, can I just ask you to, I want to give you a couple of moments just to pray with your creator today. You may be more, you may be wrestling today. What is your focus? This past week, if, if we would have heard your conversations, your prayers, your social media posts, if we would have heard uh, your interactions with those you love, those you work with, those in your family, those in your neighbors. What's your focus? And, and maybe the God of the universe just wants to speak to you today. He wants to invite you in today. So I just want to do something really unusual. I just want to give you a few moments for you to pray with God and ask him, God, where's my focus? What do you want my focus to be? What's the next step you want to lead me to? Right here, right now, in the quietness of this moment, I just want to invite you to have that conversation with God, just you and him right now. Would you pray? Just before we worship and close, let me just lead us in this prayer. Father, we need you today. There's so much that distracts us in this life. And God, we ultimately want what's higher, what's greater. And God, we need you for the strength to move forward. And may we share with this world that your son Jesus is your son. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.
I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.